0: We do rejoice in our Lord, and I still think he had it easy because he didn't have to deal with electronics. He just stood on a, stood on a hill and preached, so, but we, we soldier on. We're talking about love one another, and today we're talking about kindness, so be kind. Okay. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 29. You follow along with me. just as Christ God forgave you. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction. Lord, you have said elsewhere that all scripture is given for reproof and doctrine and teaching. And so, Lord, we receive it today to teach us how to be kinder, to show love one for another. Open our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I made the point that in all of our ways, we are ambassadors for Christ. Not just when we speak to somebody about Christ, but when they just see us out and about, when they interact with us, we are ambassadors for Christ. And that is on the front of our bulletin to remind us, we are ambassadors for Christ in 2 Corinthians 5.20. But that doesn't just mean when we're on our best behavior. We're ambassadors no matter what, no matter how we act. Whenever we're acting purposefully trying to do right, or whenever we kind of forget and let our selfish nature take over, and do as the scripture said here, getting rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander. We deal with those kind of things. Somebody cuts us off in traffic, some of that attitude comes out and so whenever and whatever we do we are representing jesus christ when we take on that name of christian when you break that down it means little christ we are little christ we are uh, christ a subset of him he indwells us through the holy spirit we embody him here on earth and so it's good for us to remember that in whatever we say, whatever we do, and to think about that before we start posting on Facebook or Twitter or some of these things a rant. People are watching. We may think they're not watching. We may think they don't care what we say or do, but they do notice, they do know. Also being a representative of Christ, being an ambassador for Christ is not an elective If you'll notice that statement, it's a declarative statement. It's not saying, act like an ambassador. You ought to be, I want you to be. We are ambassadors for Christ, regardless of whether we choose to do that, whether we want to or not. When we take on his name, we are ambassadors. On Thursday evenings, for the last several months, I've had the opportunity to have a Zoom meeting, that's a computer internet meeting for those that hadn't done it, with some other ministers that Larry Orange, our former associational director, put together. And we've got people from near and far, Paul Briscoe over at Lockport Baptist is on there, and then another man from Morgantown, and another one from West Virginia. And we gather with Larry and we watch a video, or we pre-watch it, and then we discussed the video, and it's a video by Adrian Rogers, who was pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, became a mega church, had 29,000 members by the time he passed away in 2005. Very influential man of God in teaching the word of God. And it's a great video. This past week, he made the point that what scripture tells us to do is an imperative. It's not optional. When Jesus says, and when the Bible teaches, be filled with the Holy Spirit, that's an imperative. An imperative means not to be avoided or ev- evaded. It means do it. And sometimes I think we forget that. We, sometimes we, 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 we take advantage of the grace of God, his mercy, is, is not striking us down right away. And we push the limits like a, like a, maybe our children, maybe we did when we were little with mom and dad. We'd see just how far we could step outside of the bounds they did. But God intends for us to do what he said for us to do. He said in John fifteen seventeen, these things I command you, not suggest that you do. I command that you love one another. That's an imperative. And it would be good for us to remember that, to keep him at the forefront of our mind, to keep him in the supreme position as God the creator. A pattern of prayer that I like to practice is to use the letters ACTS, A-C-T-S, to flow my prayer. And the very first, the A is adoration. Adoring God for who he is. And in that adoration, I'll say things like acknowledging that he is the creator, that he, he spoke and everything came into being. That even now he sustains everything by his hand and by the power of his voice. He is supreme, He is eternal, He is all-knowing, He is omnipotent, He is everywhere present, not me. I'm flawed, I'm finite. And so that adoration and starting my prayer that way helps me set the proper order of things, that I am the subject, He is the Father that I am the servant, he is the master, that I am there to hear from him and to do his bidding. And it helps to take that attitude. The next three, if you're wondering, C is confession. Once I acknowledge, and Jesus started out that when he taught us the model prayer. He said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. That is that adoration, it's establishing who he is. And then we go into confession, acknowledging the times that we failed Him. Then we thank Him for all that He's done in our life. And finally, supplication, asking Him for those things we desire Him to give us to do for us. Too often we enter into prayer like He is a genie at our bidding that we can rub a lamp or we could command Him. And so we start right out, gimme, 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 asking Him for the things and that's the wrong order. And so we come to Him understanding that He is the Almighty God and He gives us these imperatives as His children. Last week, we looked at being patient and we learned ways to become more patient people. Today, the topic is kindness. And our scripture today says in verse 432, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. There is that parable in the Bible of the man who owed the king a great amount of money. And the king decided to collect his debt and he called the man in. He said, where is the debt you owe me? The man begged and pleaded, I don't have it king, but if you'll give me some more time, I'll get it for you. The king relented. He showed mercy. He gave him some more time. That man went out. Somebody owed him money. And he he grabbed him by the neck and he said, where's my money? And the man said the same thing. Give me some more time. I will repay. But the man showed no mercy and threw him into jail. The king heard about it. Called him back in. Said, you wicked man. You should have been forgiving as I was forgiving of you. And that strikes at our sense of justice. We can understand that. How this man who had a debt, who was, that debt was delayed. He owed it, but it was delayed his repayment. He wasn't thrown into jail, but he turns around and he shows no mercy to the other person. That goes against our sense of justice. And so Paul is saying here, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. That's only right. That's only just. Jesus teaches us where to be kind and not just to the people we like, not just to the people who are good to us. In Luke 6.35, Jesus says, but love your enemies, do good for them, lend to them without expecting to get back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high because he, talking of God, is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. And so, again, it's pointing out that God shows kindness to those who refuse his name, who refuse his leadership, and he expects us to do that same thing. We show kindness in many ways. We hold the door open for friends and strangers. I left a convenience store last night. A man was walking in. I held the door for him. He said, thank you. Wasn't a thing to think, wasn't anything to pat my chest about. It was just being kind, being nice, being helpful. We do those kind of things. It may be that you're at a grocery store and you've got your cart laden down, laden down all full of groceries. It's gonna take you a while to go through. The poor person behind you has two little items. And if you're kind, you say, why don't you go ahead of me? I'm gonna be here a while. And so that kindness is extended to that person, and they appreciate it. Well, hopefully, they do. Sometimes, you know, you, you've heard the term pay it forward or pay ahead, and people in a drive up line will pay for the next car behind them just to give them a treat, to be kind to them. So, we show kindness in a lot of different ways. Perhaps our biggest downfall regarding kindness is not in those kind of actions, but in the things we say, our words, our verbiage, our thoughts expressed. Ephesians 4.29 again starts out, "'Do not let any unwholesome talk out of your mouth, but only what is helpful in building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen.' A name in the news again is George Carlin. Some of you may remember the comedian from years ago. He was funny, he was a little crude. He could be real crude. He was funny. He had a, a, a wry sense of humor and an outlook on culture. And there's a lawsuit going on if you don't know because all of this artificial intelligence that's going on now. People are using his likeness to do different things. and. They haven't asked permission to do that, so that's going on. But one of his bits that he did one time was the seven words you can't say on television, and I'm not going to say them (laughs) in the pulpit, and we are on television. I'm definitely not going to say it. I don't want the FCC coming after me. Don't want you coming after me. We don't need to talk that way. That is some unwholesome talk that we shouldn't let cross our lips. We should control that. But it's not just those kind of words that are unwholesome. Unwholesome are those words that tear other people down, that are critical, that are fault-finding. The Bible says in that verse to build up. That word is edify. The King James uses that word. And it's akin to an edifice. This is an edifice, a building. And so, To edify is to build up and we are instructed, it is an imperative that we are to edify each other. In other words, act in such a way, speak in such a way, interact in such a way to build each other up towards what? Towards being Christ-like. That's the goal for all Christians. And so we we are to think about that and Paul expands that instruction by saying according to their needs, not according to what I want, not to meet my agenda, not in order to accomplish something I'm trying to do, but to build the other up according to their needs. There is that proverb we're so familiar with, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. Sometimes we gloss over the part that says Train up a child in the way they should go. Learning our child, learning those children of what is their strength, what is their interest, not to be a little me, but to find out how to grow them to become what they want to be. That's what Paul is saying for all of us, to build each other up according to the other's need that they may be benefited This is all a part of being kindness. And so what we say is supposed to help others grow to be more like Christ. Christ is that end goal. Christ is where we find peace, power, and strength to go on, to continue, and to help others. It is to encourage and build up, not to ridicule and tear down. Look with me at James chapter three, gonna be verses three through 10. James is a tough book. He likens the tongue to a fire, a world of evil. Let's read, behold, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned by a small rudder. Whithersoever the governor lists them to go, they go. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and it boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth." You can start a big mess with a little tongue. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and birds, and serpents, and all things of the sea is tamed, and has been tamed of mankind, but the tongue no man can tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless God, even the Father, and with it we curse men which are made after the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not so to be. That warning there, being careful of our speech. I know I grew up, you probably grew up with the old adage of when you get angry, count to 10 before you say something. In the modern day with email, with text and stuff, it's often recommended before you send out that text to give it just a moment to rest, to reread it, to count to 10, to reconsider what you're about because once it's gone, it doesn't come back. When I was a young boy, I went to a Christian camp in South Alabama, LA I like to say, lower Alabama. The director of that camp was Jonas Miller, fine man out of Pennsylvania by the way. And he had started this camp, and he had a poem, I, I Envy His Memory. You're not supposed to envy. We'll get to that next week. But I envy his memory because he, it was legal pages about four or five, and he had the whole thing memorized. I'm going to paraphrase and tell you the gist of it. It's called The Pioneer's Woman. And it tells about a couple, a pioneer couple went out west. And the man went out all day, he had to work in the fields and it was the woman's job to keep the house, take care of the cattle, these kind of things. One day the man comes home, all the cattle are gone. When she went out to feed them, she had forgotten to secure the gate. And like cattle do, they had wandered off and so they spent all night trying to find them and corral them back. Time passes, goes on. The man comes home another day, sometime later, his wife's gone cattle are gone. There's a note on the table, I'm sorry, dear, I did it again. I forgot to to secure the gate and the cattle have loosed about to find them. He waits for a while. She doesn't come. He doesn't hear the cattle. It's getting dark and stormy. He goes out. He searches for her all night. He can't find them. It's, of course, a big world, hard to find them. He comes back about daybreak and as he's sitting there worrying, wondering where she and the cattle are, he hears a cowbell. And the poem goes, oh, blessed woman, she was smart enough to let the animals lead her home. And so he rushes out, and they did, but she was gone. The storm had taken her. And the, the, the moral of the story is, the point of it is, to be careful with words. He had given her a tongue lashing and that had driven her to not try not to disappoint him again. He said, words, the poem goes, words are not like a kite. A kite you can loose with a string on the wind and draw it back in, but words once flown can't be retrieved. Powerful lesson. that stuck with me now 40, 50 years since I was a boy. There is overt verbal abuse when we call people names, when we use a derogatory term, when we say they're stupid or worthless or openly critical of their appearance or what the work they do, but there's a more subtle speech, a subversive speech if you will, that we practice where we can mock people, ridicule, we criticize another and we can do it with a smile on our face. We might give a little chuckle like it's a joke when we say something to them. We can act pleasing to the other when they're in front of us, but with our friends, we run them down, speaking negatively of them. We learn how to be subtle in those verbal attacks, but they're still attacked nonetheless. Sometimes unkind words are true. I mean, sometimes people don't do a good job Sometimes they do fail on their task, but to blurt it out at the wrong moment is untimely. Words should be chosen when to be said. Correcting or criticizing someone in public or in front of others is never kind. Too often we can do that with our children and I understand they get on our last nerve in the store and we lash out and it's tough being patient. But we can destroy their psyche, their spirit, in just a quick word, if we're not careful. I, in my management training, I often heard the adage, don't know where it came from, don't know who said it necessarily, but the thought is to praise in public and to criticize or correct in private. Praise in public, when you're in front of other people, talk up the positive aspects of a person. Don't talk about their failings, their shortcomings. Uh, don't make comments about how they look or what they do. There is a time, especially as a boss, to give instructions so that they do the job better. But do it one-on-one in a room. Give them that, that dignity of n- not having to be dressed down in front of other people. We're often guilty of offering criticism with no offer to help. We'll comment how you should have done this way, you should have done that, you should have done this, but then we don't offer to help. How can I help are the kind words that would be good there. A good friend of mine, uh, we've lost touch now, he was a good friend, but we had this little incident. I was pastoring the church in Louisville and he kept having suggestions for me. Wes, you ought to do this. Wes, you ought to do this. If you do this, Wes, you ought to do this. And I used something that was used on me by the administrator of First Baptist Atlanta, Steve. When I kept going to him, Steve, there's lights all out all over the building. Steve, this is wrong. The bathrooms are empty of paper. <laughs> And he pulled that out finally on me. He said, Wes, I'm glad the Lord laid that on your heart. He must mean for you to take care of that. And I took his meaning. I stopped complaining, but I did take care of those things. Well, Larry would do that to me. And so I tried that on Larry. I said, Larry, God's obviously put that on your heart. Why don't you come be with us and help us do that? He said, you know, you've said that to me before, and I think that's kind of demeaning. And I said, but Larry, if it's your idea, but it's not important enough for you to do it, why should I do it? And he's kind of thought a minute and he said, well, you kind of got a point there. But it's easy to tell other people what they should do or to tell them how they didn't do it right. It's something else to say, how can I help? Most everyone needs help. So sometimes we say true words and we don't take into account the difficulty of the situation and we may not give credit for how much the person is trying. No one of us gets things perfect the first time and we may never get it right. Sue will tell you that one of the challenges I had as we were married and She, you've seen her do her stitchery and stuff and she used to crochet a lot, big things, and she'd be going along, she'd have a big old whatever made. Next thing I know, she's pulling it all out. What are you doing? She said, I missed a stitch. And she wanted it right. And so she would go back and do that, all of that difficulty and I gained an appreciation And I also gained an appreciation that she wanted it right and she was willing to redo it. We need to understand that with people around us. They're working, they're trying, they're doing, but sometimes a stitch gets dropped and we need to understand and extend grace. Often the critical unkind word is offered, but not that help. We'll run down another while speaking to friends usually to make ourselves look better to make our esteem we think better paul wrote about that in first corinthians 8 1. he says we all possess knowledge but knowledge puffs up while love builds up knowledge puffs up but love builds up i like that verse and we can remember Ephesians 4.29, that's what our goal is, to edify the other person. Now, all this is not to say that we never address an incorrect words or actions of another. Jesus, I, I love the passage with the woman caught in adultery at the end. She was caught dead to rights. Nobody, she didn't even argue that she was doing wrong. But Jesus said those words, he was out sin let him cast the first stone and one by one they left he eventually looked up woman where are your accusers they've gone lord no one to condemn you no and he says that blessed phrase neither do i condemn you he had the right she had sinned against his law if anyone had the right it was jesus but he says neither do i condemn you Now go back to what you were doing. That's not the scripture, is it? Jesus says, now go and sin no more. He extended mercy, forgiveness, grace, but he didn't condone the behavior. He said, don't do that. In Matthew 18, Jesus gives us steps of how to deal with a conflict with another person. And we are not take time to read the scripture. They break down in three. The first one is, Talk to the person one-to-one. Don't go to all your friends seeing if you're right, if they think you're right. Don't, Don't broadcast it on Facebook about how you were wrong. Go to the person. In doing that, you have an opportunity, one, to gain understanding. It may be you misunderstood. It may be you took it wrong. It may be that you didn't take something or just absolutely didn't hear right. So going one-on-one, going privately, gives the opportunity to work out that kind of problem. But if they're refusing, if they did do something to you, and they they won't change, they they won't, it says, Jesus says, go and get two others, take them with you. And there's a, a logic behind these steps. Hopefully, as you take two others, You don't get your buddies that you know are gonna support you, but you find wise, mature people. And part of the process there is, they may say, Wes, you're the one who's got the problem. They didn't do anything wrong. You need to change your attitude. Or they may say, no, you're right, you were wrong, let's go talk to them. So you go and and you confront them that way. And then Jesus says, if they still refuse to change, to correct what they did, then take it to the whole body of believers. And again, you have the same process that surely within that body of believers, you'll have wise people who can recognize where the error is and deal with it. And so there is that logical step that Jesus gives us the imperative, word for the day, to go through in trying to resolve conflict Go one-on-one, don't broadcast it. Once, Once we broadcast a wrong like that, we've lost the opportunity pretty much. So these are some ways that we can practice being kind. So often, we just need to stop and think about what we're about to say to choose our words wisely and kindly. An example that uh, I used to use with our children, Most, like most couples coming up, Sue and I didn't have a lot. We were struggling to make ends meet, getting our careers going. Kids would want something. We didn't say we don't have the money. We often didn't. But how we would coach it is, we don't need to spend the money on that. Instead of making them think we're poor and destitute and can't do anything, we tried to instill a knowledge of wise spending and preparing for things. And I think it served them well. So I only say that as an example of how you can alter what you say to build someone up instead of running them down. And we are given that instruction to do so. Jesus treated all people, including sinners, with a kindness. He didn't condone the wrong. He corrected it at the right time. If you'll read your Bible closely, you'll find that Jesus was harshest on those who considered themselves religious believers. To the sinner, he was gentle and kind and correcting. Jesus was a man of steel and velvet. He could say to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. When Peter denied what Jesus needed to do, but he could say to the woman in adultery, neither do I condemn you. The right thing at the right time in the right way. That's being kind. It takes patience. It takes work. It takes love. We are ambassadors for Christ. Let's stand for our closing hymn. It may be that as you've listened today, that there was something inside saying, I need to develop this more. Lord, you're speaking to me. You're telling me about my harsh words, about my blurting things out. He's calling you to that correction, that repentance one-on-one. We don't hear it. This is a time to respond. It may be that you've chosen him in your life, and it's time to let others know that you've made Jesus Christ your Savior. I'm here to receive you. As we sing, you come.